This episode is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Become a patron today at patreon.com forward slash into the portal. The year 1947 has become synonymous with UFOs in modern culture after the incident at Roswell, New Mexico. But few realize that earlier that year, there was another incident that would truly launch a new era of UFO sightings and reports. 2.15 p.m. June 24, 1947. Pilot Kenneth Arnold was flying over Washington State en route to Yakima when he noticed something bizarre. Something that would end up being a formative factor in the public's awareness of a very real phenomena starting to take place across the United States. Arnold spotted nine craft moving at a high rate of speed and traveling in formation towards Mount Adams. They flew erratically like a saucer skipping across water, was the quote from Arnold as he was ambushed by reporters in the days following his account. This statement would lead to the misnomer flying saucer as the dominant description of unknown objects spotted soaring through the darkened night skies. Arnold wasn't alone in his sighting. U.S. citizens across Washington state among 39 others looked up and saw strange objects dancing through the skies above them. Objects seemingly not of this world. Tonight, Into the Portal investigates one such case. A bizarre, random occurrence in the waters of Puget Sound. One of the lesser known close encounters with UFO phenomena that continues to defy the efforts of modern investigations to this day. Join us as we dive into a bizarre event that started a new era in UFO sightings. The Maury Island Incident. Welcome back into the portal. I'm Amber Ray. And I'm Andrew McKay. Welcome mm-hmm. back, everybody. Mm-hmm. We are pretty stoked because tonight we are covering our very first UFO incident we ever are. on Into the Portal, which is kind of crazy because the show is titled Into the Portal. It sounds very outer space. It does. And, yeah. Uh, very interdimensional. Very. Well, um, we get interdimensional. We've definitely we do. covered that. We do. But yeah, no, I mean, people have been asking us, throwing out ideas for different uh, UFO related events, abductions, different things like that. And it seems like everybody's really wants that, craving it. You're so, gung ho, man. So you're you're already yawning. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Typical. What are you trying to say? Typical. I'm, I'm bored by this. I'm definitely not bored by this. <laughs> How could you possibly be bored by? What it was we're about a little bit of a long drive this afternoon, but we're back in Kelowna. Yeah, we were out in the Kootenays for a wedding, mm-hmm. and we had to make a little bit of a trek back. But here we are doing the mm. recording. So. Yeah, it's a good weekend, and now we're going to wrap it up with an even funner episode. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah. Um, before we introduce the topic and everything like that, I just wanted to read a review because we have a new one on iTunes, sweet. which is sweet. Um, and please keep those reviews coming, yeah. everybody. So, it really helps us climb the iTunes rankings. So, there's um, iTunes reviews, and then Apple Podcasts is kind of like its own thing. Um, oh, so, how, wherever, like wherever you can subject. find a place to leave a review, please, please, uh, please do. It helps us out so much. And yeah. if you do leave one and we don't uh, give you a shout out, send us a message and let us oh. know. Like, if you're from some 
obscure country that we haven't like talked about or we checked try. on iTunes. Yeah, we try and skip around and, Please and let look us know. at the different countries. Yeah. But you could even do like a screenshot and send to us that yeah, way too. Totally. I'd appreciate that. Yeah, because you deserve the shout out and we wanna give give yeah. it to you. So And we definitely know of people that have done reviews and they mm-hmm. just haven't showed up. Yeah. So what that the happens heck? to iTunes. iTunes. <sighs> Good heavens. Anyway, so this one's from Jesse Glide 0036. <laughs> Jesse Glide. Yeah. So it's a five-star review. It says, new favorite show. What? <sighs> That's awesome. Aww. So Canada now has given the U.S. two amazing things, Niagara Falls and this show. <laughs> Great job. Love the stories. Love the one about the North Sentinel people. Wonderful story that I've never heard of. It's relaxing when I can sit on the beach and immerse myself into the story of the week. P.S. I live at the beach. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, thank I you so much, <laughs> Jesse. That's uh, that's awesome. We love it. Yeah, yeah, appreciate it. So yeah, keep them coming, guys. Yeah. All right. What are we getting into tonight, Amber? Do do do. We are getting into a pre Roswell. That I totally biffed that <laughs> pre Roswell account from 1947. Mm-hmm. This is a classic UFO case that isn't as widely known. I don't think it, yeah, no, it is not widely known. I was unaware of it. And it's strange, too, because it actually occurred in sort of a a wave of saucer scene in a bunch of different states over the course of a few weeks. And there's another one that we are going to mention in relation to this guy, but today we are talking about the Maury Island incident. Yes. Sorry, (laughs) I did that twice. (laughs) So... We have a couple different players with this. We got a year, we got a date, we got a location, we got everything we need. <laughs> so we're going to start All off the with essentials. the... essentials. <laughs> only the essentials. Yeah, exactly. And a little bit extra. Yeah. But, okay, so this incident actually took place on June 21st, 1947. And it was in the Puget Sound Bay in Washington. So in this, um, yeah, in this pretty hectic little area, um, the way that it was described was that there's a lot of industry going on, a lot mm-hmm. of fishermen... And lots of logs that um, kind of uh, cropped up their own industry in a way because a lot of people made their way being salvagers of these logs. Yeah, and, uh, so a lot of people will be familiar with that, obviously. Like, yeah. if you live on the coast, there's, like, yeah, the log booms, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, like, uh, you got the tugboats, you know, pulling them up the pulling them up the waterway, but sometimes these they break free. These are more, like, free. more opportunists, though, really. Yes. It was, uh, you know, just a little bit of a side, side biz side for some hustle. people. Side hustle. Yeah, I like that. Um, yeah. So, who are our main players in this one, Andrew? Okay, so, should, do you want me to just start? Do you want me to just start right from the beginning here and just and just go for it? I mean, we got the main players are. Okay. <laughs> okay. okay. You, just, you just burst my bubble. I'm get, okay, I'm not, okay. No, no, no bubbles have been burst. The bubble is there. All right. We got a guy named Harold Dahl. All right. Who is he? Who was he? Who's he? <laughs> He's the main guy. <laughs> so, he was the main witness for this event. Okay, mm-hmm. we have his son. What was his son's name again? Did we pull it I, up actually, or was it I never got a name for his son. He hmm. was repeatedly referred to, but always just as Doll's son. Right. And if anyone else has a name for him, we'd love to hear it. Um, especially Rob and our strange guys, he would probably know. Hey. Yeah. Well, we, <laughs> we went through that know. episode of his. I don't know if you mentioned it, but no. But he would probably know in additional research and stuff. He's the he's the guy. He was he's more the UFO focused guy. on Doll, I think. Yeah. But there's another. We- player as well, mm-hmm. a Fred Chrisman, and he was supposedly Dahl's boss at the time in this sort of fishing industry, per se, as mm-hmm. the story goes. And then we have a couple of extras, I would say. Um, there was a few extra bodies on board of this boat at the time of the incident. Right. So, so let's, let's get <laughs> into <Jinx>. the incident. <laughs> let's do it. 
I am picturing the lights going down. (laughs) Okay. So, like we said, this is 1947. Summer. It's June. Uh, Again, yeah, the waters of Puget Sound. Lots of logs making their way to the surface Mm -hmm. that need to be cleaned up. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so, yes, Dahl was working on one of these boats, cleaning up these logs, uh, taking them down to the local mill uh, where they could get a small salvage fee. Yeah. And he was on the boat with his son, with his dog as well, which we forgot to mention. And they were just, you know, minding their own business. Yeah. They were cruising along. It was an afternoon. Um, yeah, the story goes that they were approaching Maury Island. They right. were in the vicinity of Maury Island, which is just a small island. I'm yeah. not sure the exact... Uh, exact size but it's not anything that's like habited right it's just like a small as far as i know forested kind of island anyways so at around two in the afternoon this is actually a quote from the mufon report at two in the afternoon doll's boat approached the east shore of maury island maury island is now attached to vachon island by a causeway road and is about six miles west of des moines washington so Dahl looked in the sky and saw six objects floating about 2,000 feet above his ship. The objects were made of some type of reflective metal, donut-shaped, and about 100 feet in diameter. The center holes were about 25 feet in diameter. Dahl said he also found round portholes, and what he thought he saw was an observation window. Yeah, it says here... Okay. okay, so this is where it starts to get interesting. Um, so I guess Dahl is watching these craft kind of doing their thing in the skies above. Right. And he notices one of them's acting kind of strange. It's sort of like almost like faltering or something's going wrong with its... Uh, uh, it was just struggling. It was yeah. like it wasn't moving at the same trajectory as the other craft. And it had started to drop, I believe, is, is what yes, happened, right? it did. It, it slowly dropped, it says here, and it stopped and hovered about 500 feet above the water. Okay. So Dahl kind of started to get a little freaked out. He wasn't sure what he was witnessing. He wasn't sure if this was an attack or, you know, some sort of a hostile scenario. And so he was actually going to take the boat to shore. And he was actually afraid that it was going to even, like, crash into his boat, maybe. Or something yeah. like that, because it, right. def- it was erratic. Dropping it was, down pretty low. Exactly. And I'm not sure if it was, like, right above him or just, like, you know, pro- in the approximate vicinity of where right. his boat was. Yeah. I'd get pretty nervous, too, to be honest. So, okay. It says here that he did take the boat to shore. And once he was ashore, he actually got several pictures with his camera right. of these ships. And this lower ship, it was it was an extended uh, visitation. It was about five minutes that Dahl witnessed these things. At that, yeah. Exactly. Was, that's a quite a long sighting five when you minutes. think about it. Like, that's a long time. Yeah. It's very interesting. Um, and then, supposedly, <laughs> one of the other ships decided to move down and join the lower ship. And they kind of were like rotating around each other. They were almost, it looked like they were communicating or yeah. something. And then... Out of nowhere, Dahl said he heard a noise of some sort. It was a thud. It was something. Okay. And all of a sudden, thousands of pieces of material come falling from the center of this ship. Just the one, the lowest Just one, Just the right? one that was in trouble. Okay, so that's interesting. Bizarre. Just the one. Bizarre. And he describes it as, he thought it was like paper at first, because it was kind of yeah. fluttering down. It was like, 
it was definitely a lot of chunks. It wasn't right. just one big chunk. It wasn't a liquid per se. Okay. But could have been, like, it was kind of described as maybe, like, having metallic features. Could have been, like, a silvery uh, molten metal that actually cooled and dried midair kind of thing as it was being dropped. Okay. Uh, yeah. So, apparently, uh, a few of these pieces hit the beach. They hit Dahl's boat. Uh, apparently, his dog was killed, and his son experienced a broken arm as a result. Crazy. Which is very bizarre. If Well, I guess maybe if it dried midair, then it just smacked him on the arm and broke it. I don't know. I was I was picturing in my head, like, molten metal, like, coming down and, like, melting his arm off. Just like, <laughs> Anyways, that was my... Well, that, that is interesting, though. So it starts off with a, one substance. So it's, the, it's a lighter colored substance, like you said. You described it almost like a newspaper. It's just, it's getting shot it's out. It's white but it, but that's and lightweight, the, is right. how he described it. So that. that wasn't the thing that was really... Of a dis- of disturbance, but then all of a sudden this dark stuff gets just gets fired out, like it is oh, coming yeah. down at a great rate. of Exactly. Speed. He d- he said it was close to like twenty tons. It was a lot. That's a lot. A lot of metal. Okay, so essentially, and it was, and yeah, the description was that it was almost liquid like, but mm-hmm. that it was obviously solidifying as it was falling. Almost like he he compared it to lava or something. Right. And it, essentially, it hit the water, and it was so hot that steam actually erupted from it. And it, several pieces happened to land on his boat, like I mentioned. And, I, yeah. Crazy. I, I guess his boat experienced some damage to some extent. Well, yes, it did. Yeah. And, obviously, the dog. It's always the freaking dog, man. Yeah, they had a, they had a burial at sea for the poor I don't dog. understand that. Like, was it that bad that you have to just really just get rid of it right away? Well, like, wouldn't not- you want to take some pictures of that as well and have it as evidence? That's a good point, actually. Like, that to me is just weird. Yeah, that is a really good point. Yeah. So, anyways. Interesting. It is also 1947. So, I don't know. But he's got a camera on him, you know? That's true, too. Polaroid. One of the earlier Polaroids that would have been most likely, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Okay. So, okay. So, the story continues on here. Apparently, after all this material is dropped out of the ship, it seems to recover its own sort of integrity and just kind of soars away. <laughs> yeah, like it was fleet. having an issue and just needed to get rid of some stuff. Space garbage. Lighten the load a little bit. You always, so to speak. You always feel better after you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> but, <but> yeah. <laughs> so anyways, I guess Dahl actually tried to radio for help at one point, but he found there was interference. It wasn't working. So again, that's very common, right? With these types of scenarios. Yeah, radio and just not And one working. thing that I was like, I was thinking to myself, like, why the heck, like, how is his camera working then? Like, you know, because you usually get a lot of that sort of interference as well. And there was, um, after they went and actually developed the negatives, apparently, mm. these these were lost in the shuffle, supposedly, but these printed photos actually did reveal images of ships. Right. And the negatives themselves had some degree of damage that seemed to be caused by radiation of some sort. Right. And, and the photos themselves as well. They were, like, spotty is kind of how it was described. But Bizarre. Okay, so let's just re- let's just recount where we're at. Oh, okay, here. so so we have we have Harold Dahl, his son, and two crewmen on a boat in Puget Sound. They're collecting logs. Mm-hmm. They're out there on a regular routine day, and they spot six bizarre craft around two thousand feet above their ship or in the vicinity above mm-hmm. their ship. 
starting to get a little bit concerned because one of them drops down to around 500 feet is clearly struggling to stay in the air. Mm -hmm. And another comes down and tries to assist it a little bit, I believe is one of the accounts, not in this MUFON file. No, yeah. Oh, was that, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, Right? Okay. It says here the lower lower ship stayed in its position for about five minutes and the others were like circling above and then one One of the ships left the formation and touched the lower ship. Almost like it was trying to nudge it back into a proper, you know, positioning in the air or something like that. That's strange, eh? Mm-hmm. Anyway. It's more than a little strange, and it does actually remind me of another UFO case that we are going to be covering in a Patreon episode for this next month. So Very we're cool. going to get into that later on, but just Here a little we go. Into the there. portal, getting into I'm just, some more I'm just UFOs. throwing out a little fish and lure there. There you go. <laughs> and, yeah, so then, so from there getting a little bit concerned, starts to take the boat closer to shore when this lighter colored paper stuff, right, mm-hmm. being shot out of the center of these donut-shaped craft. Bizarre, right? So they've got like a hollow center? I got to do a shout out to Rob. I mean, we already have, but I got to do a shout out to Rob Christofferson because his <laughs> whole thing with UFOs, it was a little while ago, but he's like, he, he's comparing them to breakfast foods. It makes sense. He's like, okay, we got the discs are like pancakes. You got the rod shaped sausages. Yeah, they're like sausages. Um, you know, like these ones are donuts. I mean, donut breakfast food, arguable, but still. And then you've got the other craft that um, Kenneth Arnold, who is a very important player in this story, mm. saw later that were almost like a half disc. It's almost like a slice of cantaloupe or something like that, oh, Rob. There you go. Yeah. Anyway. So or an just, orange slice. There you go. <laughs> but, so, yeah. So, he, he made kind of a funny point that a lot of these uh, sightings, especially the earlier ones, are kind of akin to a lot of breakfast, breakfast items. items. Oh, Rob. But, uh, I love that. Yeah, <laughs> He's got too. such an awesome perspective. Totally. <laughs> Very unique. Yeah. So, but yeah. So, we okay. ended up with the pictures. So that's Yeah, what, so he ends up with some pictures. He tries to radio for help, doesn't get anywhere with that. And so he ends up going back to his boss, Fred Chrisman, which we mentioned at the top of this episode. Mm-hmm. And apparently this is when they get into the... Yeah, they they develop these photos that he took. And uh, Chrisman says, like, he didn't really believe Dahl's story, but he wanted to, you know, give him the benefit of the doubt. So he went back. He went back to Maury Island. He wanted to collect some of these samples. And you know what's interesting? What? He had his own sighting when he was there. Really? Mm Mm-hmm. So, apparently, one of the ships, just one, though, so we don't get the whole six, we just get one, uh, it appeared overhead as he was collecting some of this material on the beach. And it had some sort of weird um, cognizance to it. It seemed as if it was, like, watching him is how he described it. Even though he doesn't describe any, like, uh, any more detail to it other than the fact that it was kind of He just, like, felt like he was being watched by something significant. Mm Mm-hmm. That's eerie. Creepy, right? I mean, because it says here in the report, like, he did not believe Dahl, but then when he went out to collect this, these things, then he ends up feeling like he's being watched and seeing that other crap. Exactly. You know... Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll get into some ideas on all this, obviously, closer to the end, but it's just, like, first thing that makes me think of is, like, why would why would a ship that's ejected something that's clearly needed to be done in order for it to keep flying have one of them come back just to, like, make sure, just to see if anyone was, like, mm-hmm. looking at it? Is anyone investigating? Like, it just like, seems kind of almost it's like It's almost a, like a weird sort of, like... Self-conscious um, extraterrestrials. Yeah, yeah like. that's exactly <laughs> like, what I was going to say. It's almost like he's embarrassed. He's like, oh, I just, uh, I forgot to come back with a little, little poop scoop or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, yeah, it's strange. it's strange. Yeah, it is very odd. So there we go. We get, like, this is the main, the main impetus of the incident. Right. So from there, oh, so from, the story gets pretty 
interesting. Yeah. So what was the actual... So from there, they reported it. Who did they actually report this to at the very beginning? Because it doesn't say... It's unclear... Like, from the first day, if they called anyone, like, that day. Well, okay, this is an interesting thing. Oh, okay. So, if they're in this busy sound, like Puget Sound, mm-hmm. no one else saw it? You don't get any newspaper stories. You don't get any local media press or anything. All you get is them, the two of them, Chrisman and Dahl, reaching out to Ray Palmer, who... At the time, he had this magazine called Amazing Stories. Right. And that later turned into Fate magazine. He was the founder. Uh, so th- that was the person they reached out to. Right. Okay. So they went to the media. They went to the... Which is... They didn't go to the authorities. It's either... You can you, you can read that as suspect or not, depending on what... Depending. I mean... You would just... Maybe they thought all the cops are just going to blow us well, off. Well, it's the 1940s. I mean, you're not necessarily going to get the response you want out of the local... Mm-hmm. the local police department. And maybe oh, and they don't even want that because there was an injury, there was a death, supposedly, an animal death. Not, right. not You'd probably get arrested for animal cruelty or something, but you know what I mean? Like, right. maybe they're like, well, it's a little sketch. And, Possibly. But, but if there's damage to the ship, you would think that they would want to file an insurance claim. Well, I think they did have someone come back and look at that damage. But anyway, sorry. They just, did. They did. It right. was an FBI agent, and they... Anyways, I'm gonna... I'm, I'm getting don't get ahead. ahead. Don't get yeah, ahead. I'm getting ahead. <laughs> Sorry, just to go back to before, um, about Moore Island itself. Yeah. It's a bit bigger than I thought. There's definitely some people that live on it. Oh, it's just okay. south of um, south of Seattle in, oh. in Puget Sound, but it's a decent size. That documentary seemed to describe it. They were a little bit misleading, though, those guys from mm-hmm. uh, UFO magazine. And I mean, I don't... Yeah, it doesn't say on the wiki if anyone lives on it, but it's a decent size island. Okay. Yeah, just, just to clear that up a tiny bit. Just south of Seattle is the... Beauty. Geographical reference here. Des Moines. Is yeah. That what it was? Okay, so <laughs> okay, so we skipped ahead to the sending this this story to Ray Palmer, but essentially in the report that we're reading, we're looking into right now from like, Mufon. From Mufon, because we wanted to start with them because that's kind of the. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a great place to start. They lay it out very. Um, cogently. <laughs> is yeah. that the word I'm looking for? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's very nicely laid out. It's. Um, easy to understand and really like there's a lot of info to go through on this so uh, it's going to be up on our resources if anyone wants to pull it up as they're listening and uh, take a little peek i would suggest that yeah yeah i think so too it doesn't hurt what happened next um gets even weirder so (laughs) what we have with this story is for all intensive purposes the very first men in black incident yeah okay (laughs) so supposedly then the following day Harold Dahl had a, a guy show up at his house in an all-black suit, driving a black-on-black Lincoln, I mm-hmm. believe is what it was described as. I think it was, yeah. And essentially the quintessential men in black get-up, right? Yep. So he... He Dahl, didn't describe him as being, like, weird, like, a weird skin tone or anything. No. Or having he, strange mannerisms, other than the fact that he was kind of, like, off-putting. Yeah, like, so he shows up, and he invites Dahl to breakfast. Now... Supposedly, Dahl didn't think that much of it. He mm-hmm. didn't even know at the time that it had to do with his it, with his sighting. Mm. He supposedly thought that, or apparently thought that this could have just been another like competitor in the industry trying uh, to poach him, or yeah, like in, uh, okay. in, in or something or to do with it. Yeah, mm-hmm. in the salvage industry because apparently that had happened before. We oh. had people approach him to either you know whatever get pulled one way or the other. I don't know about the salvage industry in 1947 in Puget Sound, <laughs> but man, they're meeting in back alleys. Back. Dark corners. Back underneath some boats. And Bars after they're closed. Oh, yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. Got to get all those down by the docks. Yeah, clandestine <laughs> log retrieval. Yeah, it's pretty intense. Anyway, um, so, but it's just funny though. So we invite, again, we're back to breakfast, Rob. <laughs> so he invites Dahl to breakfast. So he follows him in his car. So Dahl follows this strange man in his black on black Lincoln. Oh, sorry. It's a Buick. Ah, <laughs> of course it's a Buick. I'm pretty sure that's, isn't that all GM? Same Probably. Brand. Yeah. Anyway, while they ate, the stranger apparently asked absolutely no questions. He, he, for the first part of uh, sitting there with Dahl, he didn't even say anything. They was very awkward. He was just sitting. And instead of asking any questions, eventually he started talking to him and just insisted to tell him about the account. He basically described exactly what had happened to Dahl the day before. Mm-hmm. And he warned him in a very sort of subtle way, or well, not so, <laughs> not so subtle necessarily. I mean, yeah. read between the lines. He basically threatened him, saying, "Don't talk about this." Hmm. Very typical men in black type of situation, right? Hmm. My yeah. question is, why take him over breakfast to say that? Can she just say that at the front door? When and yeah, normally with men in black, they just kind of try and invite themselves in. Yeah, this was like maybe with the men in black, and when they started off a little bit nicer, they're like, yeah, we'll take you to IHOP, and, and then try and feel you know, normal, and then they yeah. just got tired of that, and they got tired of it, and they just, <laughs> yeah, they just started barging in people's houses and stuff. But that's strange. So, kind of the yeah, I mean, who who is this? Who is this person? What branch of the government does he work for, if he does? Did I, I'm curious to know, because, like, this account is pretty vague. I'm curious to know if the stranger ever introduced himself or did give an identity of any sort, right? Like, you would think in order well, for a doll to follow him in his car and go to a restaurant, like, right. that he would want a little bit more information about what this guy's after. I guess, but it's like, we don't know doll, really. Like, True. he could have just shown up he and said... He looked like a simple guy. He could have just shown up and said... I have a proposition for you to get in the car. Sure. Or follow me to this restaurant. That's it. Yeah. And that's totally possible. why would you not? I mean, I'd be curious. So anyway, but that's that's how that went down. And uh, and then following that is what you already mentioned there before. Do you want to pick that up from Ray Palmer? Yeah. Okay. So this is after Men in Black. They send Doll and Christman together. They sent a package to this publisher named Ray Palmer, who was in Chicago at the time. And this was about a year or two before Palmer founded Fate magazine. Right. But, so he did have this one magazine already called Amazing Stories, and that actually factors into an interesting tidbit about Christman that we're going to get into in a little bit. Right. <laughs> but they didn't just send but, a package with the story. But they, they actually sent the physical. They did. Yeah, exactly. So it was metal fragments, a box of them, and statements about what happened on, like, during the incident. So I'm I'm curious to, I wonder how much detail they included too, but it was enough obviously that uh, Palmer decided to contact Kenneth Arnold. Right. So this was a individual who had begun in the, their own investigation into UFOs. Definitely were like a household name in that sort of, um, in that industry. Just <laughs> <laughs> I mean not for very long, but he had yeah I mean he had just recently kind of come into that and yes. was known for being the uh, sort of a yeah the. What's the word I'm looking for? Like the main UFO researcher, so to speak. Exactly. The preeminent UFO researcher. But this is interesting because literally three days after Dahl has this sighting, Palmer had his own sighting at Mount Rainier. Arnold. 
Sorry, you, you said Paul. Oh, sorry, Palmer. No, sorry. <laughs> Paul, <laughs> Kenneth Arnold Kenneth had his Arnold. own sighting yes. at Mount Rainier. Right. Mm-hmm. And that was a really cool one. And for the full scoop on that one, I would recommend going and checking out Rob's episode on 1947 UFOs. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we'll just touch on it briefly here now. Yeah. Do you want to take that one? <laughs> <laughs> and like, oh, okay, well, I'm, I am sort of confused here a, a tiny bit because there was his his sighting before, like th- there was a Mount Rainier sighting, but then when he was actually, was this the one where he, it was the nine craft? Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Okay, so because yeah, Arnold had two sightings in in this sort of time period, right, and but that's the why first I, one was Mount Rainier okay, where right. he witnessed. Uh, right. Yeah. Okay, so essentially for this for this incident with Arnold, he was a civilian pilot, but he was he knew a lot of kind of higher up people, so he would be asked to do certain things for them. I think he was on it wasn't like a reconnaissance mission, but he was he was heading to Tacoma, Washington for a certain reason. It wasn't just a joy flight. He was going to do something. I can't remember exactly what it hmm. was. That's not that important, but anyway, he wasn't a military guy, he was a civilian pilot. I just think that's an important distinction to make. Right. But okay. anyway, um so he's flying to Tacoma when he sees nine objects off of his left wing, I believe it was. And they're at a pretty pretty good clip away, but they're traveling really fast. Mm-hmm. And I'm, and he basically described them as not as discs, but they were like he drew a picture of it afterwards, and they were almost like they look like uh, like when Batman ha- would like throw like his like bat and ninja star thing mm-hmm. in like the comics. It's like a half disc kind of looking type thing. Is like how he right. drew it, and that's where you get that misconception, right? Because he was he told reporters what he described was. Like, they were, like, discs skipping across water. Right. And that was totally misquoted, and they said it was a flying saucer. So, okay, and this, again, I'm just going to touch on this, because for our Patreon episode this month, we're going to be covering another UFO case that is actually a Canadian UFO case. And it it has a lot of similarities in the way that the craft moved. In this one, it bobbed. And so Kenneth Arnold's description of what he saw closely resembles that, right? Right. Uh, a, a, like something skipping over water, that's that's a bobbing motion, right? Yeah. Going doop, doop, doop. Yeah. Um, so again, that's another <laughs> another connection to, should I say it? Yep. Charlie Red Star. Charlie Red Star. Mm-hmm. So, anyways. Yeah, so he sees, so anyway, so he sees nine craft, mm-hmm. and he basically, he, at first he thought that it was, um, like, military. He, he thought that they were fighter jets, in formation. But then he realized very quickly that it couldn't possibly be because he counted the time between Mount Rainier and Mount Adams. And they traveled so quickly between those two peaks that there was no way it could have been a regular right. military. It was like craft. under three minutes or five it was minutes like, or something. It, they would have been they would have been tra- traveling like over a thousand miles an hour. Like they were going they were going way faster than, than planes at the possible. time could have been. Could have okay. been going. Mm-hmm. Um so he, anyway, he lands. And they were flying he, in a formation. Sorry, I'm just yeah, remembering yeah, yeah. what Rob said. It was yeah. in a weird formation. It wasn't something that the military. Right. That it was, was almost the other like, thing, too. It was like how geese fly or something, or it was something like that. I remember Rob describing it. And again, like I said, just go listen to his episode. Yeah, Our awesome. Strange Skies, just yeah. to be clear. He is kind of the the UFO. Uh, he's your UFO guy. He is. He's our <laughs> UFO guy. <Yeah. laughs> we love him for it. Yeah. Huge source of information, just in general, like when we're getting into paranormal topics that have anything to do with UFOs. And obviously for this episode, he was uh, a a deciding factor. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, he definitely helped clear some stuff up for me. But anyways, yeah, take a quick listen to this. What's up, UFO nuts? 
It's your UFO guy, Rob Christofferson. Have you ever been curious about the UFO phenomenon, but unsure of where to start? Have you ever wondered about just what crashed at Roswell? Have you ever wanted common sense advice about licking UFOs? The answers don't. Then check out the Our Strange Skies podcast, where we dive into America's rich UFO history and uncover what these sightings say about ourselves. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and most podcast apps, as well as Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Don't forget to look up, because you never know what you'll find in Our Strange Skies. In Grey We Trust. And we're back. So make sure to go check out Rob at Our Strange Skies and, uh, yeah, subscribe and leave him a review. Mm-hmm. So just to clarify again, I just, I find, I found my other notes from the Kenneth Arnold sighting. So just to clear this up. So this is how it went down. So yeah, three days after the initial Maury Island incident and Dahl's sighting, mm-hmm. this is how, so he was, it was, sorry, it was in Tacoma. He ended up in Tacoma to talk to Dahl. And That's Tristan. what I thought. He was sitting <laughs> to Yakima. Two ah. A's on the end. Yakima. Yakima. Oh my gosh. That's where they store all Yakima the apples. apples. Yeah. Yeah. And hops too. There's really good hops. They grow Whoa. great uh, hops for beer in Yakima Valley, nice. supposedly. Never been, but we'll have to go check it out. Mm. So anyway, he was, uh, yeah, he was en route from, uh, from what's this song? Chehalis, Washington. Never <laughs> been there. To Yakima. And supposedly, yeah, like I said, he was a civilian pilot. So he was, this was like a business trip, quote unquote. Hmm. But supposedly this is and this i'm not i yeah supposedly he was looking for a u.s marine corps c-46 transport plane because there was a reward for it it had gone missing somewhere near mount rainier and because he was an experienced like pilot had gone down yeah supposedly oh. um so anyway like he was it was completely clear skies that day and so he was uh he he took kind of a detour from his initial flight just on a business trip flight to kind of look for this plane supposedly that's when he ended up seeing these nine crafts. So like 3 p.m., about 9,200 feet, he sees nine nine objects uh, that were basically reflecting super, super bright light. Okay. And so he was kind of trying to judge what they were as they would fly across the white peaks of the mountaintops and give that contrast from like this like gold shimmering kind of like light oh. that was coming off of them. Uh, that was clearly not a regular aircraft like with so the backdrop of snow. Yeah, it was like shimmery, shiny. Um, okay. crescent shaped, like I said before. Shimmery. So it's almost like does it's emanating its own light. He couldn't tell. He he that was ta- again he was taking off, he was the... taking off his glasses and like rubbing his eyes. He was kind of like changing the positioning of his aircraft to see if the light was would, would be different if he could see things differently. And he was trying to. This is the thing I like about Arnold and I like about this sighting in relation to what we're talking about. He. He tried everything to see what it could be. He didn't just be like, oh my gosh, there's nine UFOs. Mm. He was like, okay, that formation's strange, but it's probably it's probably military craft. Like, okay, like, but the size isn't quite right. And he, he kind of, yeah. he speculated that they were actually a little smaller than uh, what it would have been like a DC-4 airplane, aircraft. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that is essentially Arnold's sighting. He, he lands, he ends up landing in Yakima, not Tacoma, and <laughs> reports it right away to... Um, to just like staff there. Interesting. Yeah. And then and then after that he started doing his own investigating. And so that's where he ties into our story with the Maury Island incident. Mm-hmm. Because Chrisman and Dahl contacted Ray Palmer, like we said, um, the soon-to-be editor of Fate Magazine, current editor of Amazing Stories. Mm-hmm. And then he decided that he needed to get someone else that was a little bit more of an expert involved. And so he called up Kenneth. And Kenneth uh, decided to fly to Tacoma. <laughs> you know, he's a pilot, so of course he's going to fly. Yeah. And he actually did contact another airline pilot by the name of Emil Smith. And he wanted 
him to accompany him and interview these two, Doll and Christmas. Right. So, okay, so Arnold flies to Tacoma. <laughs> when he flies, so this is about 40 days after the incident, uh, so it's roughly, it's in like the last week of August, or sorry, the last week of July. Yeah. Um, he had another sighting on his way. He said that he saw approximately 20 to 25, like, brass-like objects. So, again, this shimmery, shiny metal sort of objects. And they were flying pretty close to him. It was about, he said it was approximately 400 meters from his plane. Crazy. And another spooky thing. So, he went to this uh, hotel in Tacoma. It was called the Winthorpe Hotel. And that was where he had arranged to meet Dahl and Chrisman for these interviews. When he arrived, he found that there was already a room checked in under his name. And, okay. And, and you could explain that away and be like, well, obviously, obviously Ray Palmer just got him a room. Right. Obviously, uh, Dahl or Chrisman just, you know, decided to put him up and just checked him in or whatever, which right. is totally plausible. But I don't think any of those guys owned up to it. No. So it was another one of those strange, it reminds me of uh, John Keel, right? When he was investigating the Mothman prophecies. Yeah. And, and he, was, he said that he was basically kind of like his moves were um, premeditated, like as if someone knew what he was going to do before he even knew he was going to do it. Mm-hmm. And there were several times where he would arrive at places and there would be messages left for him. Right. Lots of hotels, lots of offices, lots of random people that shouldn't know that he's arriving there or going to be there. And then he gets these random pieces of information. So that becomes another element in this story because as soon as these guys start to get interviewed by um, Arnold, there are simultaneously anonymous phone calls going out to local media that's describing in detail all the content of these interviews, the people involved, so naming names, but this person remained anonymous. They called the media about four or five times during during the course of these uh, interviews. Right. And it was actually a guy named Paul Lance. He was the one that received. He was the local media reporter. Okay. Yeah. Is this, is this Men in Black, too? Well, like, what is this? sounds like you it. Know? I mean, I actually came across another source, so, like, outside the MUFON file, that said that, yeah, exactly that. Like, he showed up, but he had, he had gone around to a few different hotels, and they were booked when they shouldn't have been. Like, they were full. And he was oh. like, why is this hotel full? It's like, it's not like it's peak hmm. season or whatever, but it so was very strange. And then, yeah, they, they almost guided him to the Winthorpe because weird. everything was booked, and then, sure enough, his name was there. That's weird. Right? Very I like strange. It. I like it. That's cool. Just want to throw that out there. This is totally off topic, but Winthorpe, what does that make you think of? I just Winthorpe Manor, Bob's Burgers. <laughs> Bob's Burgers. Classic episode. Really funny. This <laughs> is <So>. Winthorpe. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so now we're getting into, yeah, so there's these interviews, which are quite strange. Mm-hmm. And honestly, in a lot of accounts that I read into, and I think you did too, Arnold wasn't convinced. He found he, these guys to be suspicious, and he was he was suspicious of a hoax. He was suspicious of a hoax, and I feel like from what we've looked into it, it was especially coming from Chrisman's side. Like, he didn't really trust either of them, but Chrisman, for all intents and purposes, seems to be the shadier character in this yes, situation, Yes, and there's a lot more about this Chrisman guy right. that we're going to get into. So yeah, Dahl's meeting with them doesn't trust their story. Like, right off the bat, at face value, thinks it's a hoax. Doesn't doesn't think that the evidence that they had is overwhelming enough to actually be convincing. Right. And on well, top of it, their photos are yeah, gone. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, <gasps> there's their main evidence. Yeah. Visual evidence, and it's gone. Why does yeah. that always happen? I don't know, man. 
so frustrating. Is it is it because it's a hoax? Or is, is it, it the magic black? Or is it is it because there's yeah other factors out there that are um, like purposely trying to make sure that none of this ever comes to light right. of day? You know. Well, oh, I'm not even gonna say that. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, we don't know. We don't. We don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So okay. So <laughs> Arnold decides. He decides he needs to get more authorities involved in this. Right. And so he ends up going and contacting Frank Brown and William Davidson. And these are. Did he contact them directly, or did he yeah, contact like a? He did. Okay. Uh, in the account that I had, but. Correct me if I'm wrong, anyone out there that knows different or otherwise. Okay. But, yeah, supposedly he did contact these guys. They were pilots, okay. and they were also counter-espionage agents. And they worked for the Air Force. Okay. And so he actually got them to fly out to Tacoma to interview Dahl and Chrisman in the same Winthorpe Hotel. And, again, this is where we get the, this informer who is basically saying that these are the people here and this is what's happening and, and you you know, like giving away all the details. And it comes into play later on. So, do you want to pick up story? Yeah, so, okay. So, essentially, do you, so, okay, are we at the point here where they're actually taking that, where they're taking the box? Where they're doing the... <laughs> they're taking the box! <laughs> well, yeah, because they, they do stay for a day. I think they flew out on um, July 31st and they end up flying back to the Dave or sorry, they're going not to the Davidson Air Force Base. They're going to some Air Force Base, anyways. Hamilton. Hamilton. Right? Okay, so yeah, right. So, okay, so basically, they meet with these guys. They're they're too not really sure what to make of this. Like they, mm-hmm. they you know, they Arnold do take wants the to. Evidence. They take the evidence. They think maybe there's something here, but likely not. Is essentially their how they, yeah, is mm-hmm. essentially their what they think. But they end up, yeah, they take this supposed evidence anyway, which was this black slag-like mm-hmm. material that they had retrieved from the beach, which was the second stage of that of stuff being shot out of the donut, the middle of one of these craft. Right. So they're taking this metal-like substance, and they end up, it's, apparently this was just in a cereal box. Yep, apparently. Um, they literally... Get, they literally, like, I don't know if they kept it in that same box or on the plane, but when Chrisman and Dahl actually presented it to them and gave it to them, apparently it was in a cereal box. That's um, And that's from Our Strange Skies. Ooh. So <laughs> Again, that's we get kind breakfast of, going on I know, here. it says we cannot <laughs> escape breakfast. No. It's bizarre. I want some sausages. Right. I want some bacon. I want some eggs right now. Can okay, we, well, can we do that? okay, just, <laughs> just hold on. Just slow down here. Okay. <laughs> Okay, so they were in a hurry to basically reach Hamilton Field Air Force Base, mm-hmm. um, which is in Northern California, I'm pretty sure. It's somewhere I'm there. fairly certain, but yeah. I will double check. It's, it's somewhere in the vicinity. The, the map that I saw was basically they're just flying south, so that doesn't make sense, right? If they're coming from Washington, they'd be flying through Oregon and maybe even to... California. Right. Who knows? Anyway. Who knows? Who cares? So the two officers (laughs) flew out of McCord Airfield around 2 o'clock in the morning, uh, and they were on a B-25 bomber, repurposed bomber from the Second World War that was just being used as a transport plane at this point. And a good thing to note about this particular bomber model is that they were notoriously hard to fly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Super, super hard to fly. Like literally flying a a tin can with Mm -hmm. wings. Hard to maneuver. They also were joined by two other uh, crewmen. 
So they were essentially, so there was the two pilots and then two crew in the back. Okay, I'm just going to stop you right there yeah. and make a quick point because we watched this one documentary, this Daily Motion documentary, where it was the UFO magazine, these investigators, and they were investigating away. And <laughs> they didn't really come up with anything in the end. But <laughs> anyways, they, they were annoyingly vague about this part. Right. Because they were saying, yeah, the Brown and Davidson were these counter-espionage agents, pilots, and so we weren't even really sure. We're like, hey, wait a second, were these the two flying the plane? Because we got this one story, right, where it's these two agents, and then we got the story where, oh, oh, we didn't even say what happened. Well, yeah. Well, okay, let's, well, let's, we kind of were alluding to it. Right. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so this is how it shakes down. Yeah. So we've got Davidson and Brown, pilots, two other guys on the ship, mm-hmm. on the plane. They, they take off heading to Hamilton Air Force Base when things go awry. <laughs> um, <laughs> essentially, they're flying, and we still don't know exactly what happened, but the plane managed to catch fire. Within 20 minutes Within of taking 20 off. minutes of taking off. Now, like, and we've just said, the B- B-25, tough to fly, you know, older technology, even for, like, pushing into the, fif- late, you know, into the 50s and stuff, but well, it wasn't going seven. to just outright catch on fire 20 minutes into flight. Like, there wasn't enough, it's not, like, you know, electronics like and huge, things these days. That's where a huge engine malfunction. Like that, it would have to be a massive engine malfunction. For and how do you like have that. that type of oversight? You would think the plane would be inspected before takeoff. Possibly. Anyway, so <laughs> catches fire. Right. Boom. The two crewmen that had joined on later parachute out to safety. Mm-hmm. They bail out. Yeah. And Brown and Davidson supposedly the they. The fire caught. What did it? The caused one of the engines to okay, rupture, so explode. The wing came off, and it, it, it flew into the the tail of the plane, and then sent it into a spin. Essentially, just, just veered them. right into the forest, and yeah. So they were basically trapped so in a spinning. So they aircraft. couldn't jump out. They could not. No, they're trapped in there. They, they ended up unfortunately perishing. Indeed, they did. Yeah, and um, that is very. It yeah, sucks. that was the first loss of life um, from the Air Force, Air Force in, yeah. a, in a uh, civilian in the, in the type U.S. Of, exactly, yeah, yeah. non war related yeah. or anything. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, yeah, Air, craft down. So and that's the point I was going to make earlier with this Daily Motion uh, documentary because they were so vague about these two. They said basically they were like, "All right, so these two anti um, counter espionage agents or whatever they." had this material, they collect the material, they go on the plane, and then two bail out, and then they died. And I was like, hey, wait a second, what? So you just told me they bailed out, and then you told me they died. So yeah, like, I was when, like, like they died, what, bizarre. 30 years later? Unless I was just like, really not paying attention, but no, I, I they, was, I was taking notes, man. No, we were paying attention. <laughs> they, no, like, from, yeah, we, we kind of followed up on that, because they were super vague, and mm-hmm. all I could find was essentially that they, yeah, they're, they're, they survived, and that they reported that a fire started inside the aircraft. So whether or not that was from just the engine catching fire, like... They said it happened so fast, though. Yeah. Like, there was, like, basically no time. That it was white hot. Yeah. So... So that's what leads people to think that it was potentially this slag so material. So here we go. That's where we come... Yeah. So that's where we come back to this. Mm-hmm. The material from Dahl and Chrisman. Did it cause the plane to crash? Could it have... Yeah. So there's a few different theories on that. Should we talk about that now? Yeah. So one of them is that this material could have had a irregular magnetic orientation Mm -hmm. and that it was essentially screwing with all the electronics on the aircraft and caused some sort of an electrical fire. The only thing about that is like, would an electrical fire break out that quickly and be that hot that fast? 
I, I don't know. I mean, I we, we, we need physicist Chris in is, here to answer some science maybe, questions. Yeah, because maybe if they're filling the cabin with oxygen, then if it's high, rich in oxygen, then boom. That's, possibly. You know, that could be. But then you think that would almost be more of an explosion. Like it would, like everything, like it just catches but, fire so quickly and then it's just like those guys wouldn't have time to parachute out. No. Right? Hmm. So it's almost like there's a. There's another angle, too, that we never talked about before we started recording, you know, because we don't have details on these two. Who were they? Was this some sort of sabotage? Supposedly they were dead by the time the Daily Motion documentary crew was out investigating. Right. Well, that was in, like, the early 2000s or something. Exactly. Yeah. So So all the main players were dead by then. Which is kind of funny, right? Because they're going out to this crash site and being like, okay, we're going to take soil samples and see what we can find. It's like, are you saying, are you trying to tell me it hasn't rained in the last... Mm-hmm. 60 plus years, 70 years, like, you know what I mean? Like, come on, like, mm-hmm. it, you're not going to find anything from that. They they did find what they thought was metal from the craft, supposedly. Yeah, maybe. Because the crash was so violent that it sent, um, it sent debris, like, the crash field was massive. It was over, like, a mile wide. Here's like, the other thing radius. we should make a point of about the crash that we haven't yet. The... There was a, cr- a cleaning, like a, cr- a military exercise that took mm, place. Right. So 300 volunteers. 300 air quote volunteers mm-hmm. from military exercise swooped in and cleaned up that situation very quickly. Mm-hmm. Now. Is that suspicious? Is that suspicious? Is it just because it was like a first Air procedure? Force incident? I don't know, you know. But it does seem a little bit peculiar. Little That's bit. a lot of people. That and is a lot of people. It seems like you want to clean it up real fast. Well, it's yeah, But it is real the first fast. loss of life, too, of the Air Force. Maybe they're freaking out. They're like, oh, my goodness. Like, what if what if there was some sort of negligence? What if there's another factor that, you know? Well, the negligence would have been giving Why them- are you operating a B-25 bomb? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe get some better stuff. <laughs> Bill, get some better stuff. Get some better stuff. I mean, no, this was still, like, legit technology <laughs> for the time. Yeah. You know? These things, uh, it made it through the war. So this is very interesting, right? Because you now get not just a dead dog. You have two dead counterintelligence officers. Now, I just want to be... Okay, what the heck does that really mean? If anybody out there... Counter-espionage, counterintelligence? That to me, yeah, that's weird. That's weird. Because actually, that came from the... From the documentary you've been referring to, right? Yeah, the um, nephew because, of, or great nephew. Yeah, the of great someone. nephew of, of Brown. Of Brown. Mm-hmm. He, he basically, he's the one who said that. Like in the MUFON file, they're just as intelligence agents, which just implies that they're essentially, you know, they're just trying to ask they're questions. Try, they're and gathering they're intel. They're gathering intel. Yeah. Counter-espionage agents or counter-intelligence agents mm-hmm. is a different thing. That's like, yes. that's much more clandestine and like, you know, behind the veil, right? Okay, so that's another thing too, right? Because... This guy, Barry Fisher, who's the great nephew of Brown, the counter-espionage intelligence officer, whatever, mm-hmm. apparently, according to this Barry Fisher great-nephew dude, he, Brown's dog tags were actually given to Kenneth Arnold. Yeah. And and the documentary kind of makes a point where they're like, oh, well, perhaps because these dog tags were in the crash itself, maybe they have some sort of substance. You know, they have that um, that principle of, of transference when any material comes in contact with another material. Right. And so they were hopefully going to try and maybe analyze it, but they never got the tags. No, no. No one knows where the tags are now because they were Kenneth Arnold's and then who knows. But anyways, yeah. that's another really interesting little tidbit there. Definitely. So <laughs> Those now guys we've got... from UFO Magazine were just so dumb. 
Like, well, I'm sorry, I don't wanna, I don't want to say they were dumb, but they were just so well, dramatic. I just yeah, that's the part I don't like. Like with his it's stupid like, sunglasses, it's like pitch black in the room. You're yeah, like, it's oh, like, come like, on, man. Come like, on, come on. Yeah. yeah, like I'm sorry, maybe he has eye vision problems. I don't know. <laughs> no, he's just trying to look badass. <laughs> I'm just being a polite Canadian. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, he's just trying to look super cool. Yeah. Like you guys should go check it out. I, I, we will post the link yes. for it. It's it's interesting, it but is it's like it's one of those ones where it's very typical, right? It's just trying to make things that aren't that significant sound mm. crazy exciting and significant. Yeah. It's all the cliffhangers and then you yeah. turn the page and you're like, oh, it's not very um, compelling right. after all. Right. But. So. But it was they still, do go over it. They do go over, they do, they, yeah, they do go through the story and through some of the evidence and stuff like that and at least they, it's funny, right? Like it's, the story's still open and the the the, the truth is still out there, Fox Mulder, because yeah. they basically just went in, took samples, found some metal from the craft, went to Maury Island, dove down, but they basically just couldn't find anything to mm-hmm. disprove that it had happened, which mm-hmm. is very typical in this field, right? Yeah. Well, over 60 years later too, like come on, man. Right. Totally. <laughs> Seems kind of silly. You're mounting an expedition kind of thing, and it's like, I don't know. But at the same time, you know, archaeologists go out there, like, thousands of years after something's happened and manage to dig up something, yeah. so I don't know. Yeah. But essentially, just to come back to the crash, the Air Force investigating team just determined that it was a terrible accident. Yes. Um, vague. <laughs> vague mm-hmm. much. Like, a terrible accident in terms of, like, the, the fact that the plane plummeted into the earth doesn't say how that happened. Yeah. I mean, obviously, crash scene investigation wasn't what it was then like it is now. Like, you can't necessarily go in and do an analysis to see exactly what happened. There's no black box and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does seems a little bit like they're sweeping it under the rug. A little then bit. Then we had an Air Force investigator go and speak with Dolan Crispin and visit the boat, right? Crispin? Oh, sorry. Cris- <laughs> crispy mans. <laughs> now I want some Crispix. Oh. Or no, not Crispix. Crispers. Crispers. Oh. Sponsor us Crispers. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I, they need to make gluten-free Crispers because I'm, I'm sorely missing my Crispers. <laughs> Business idea. Oh, allergies, man. Oh. Anyways. Sorry, Chrisman. Chrisman. He, they had an investigator come and take a look at the boat. Mm-hmm. He basically... An Air Force s- investigator, hey? Supposedly. Huh. This is as per the MUFON file. And essentially, he stated that there was... The damage on the boat was fairly insignificant and did not match the damage described. Now, can you... Who, it's, it's, this is just a question of who, which side the, do you trust oh, here. We totally left um, a, a loose end. <gasps> we forgot to mention what happened to Dahl's son. Oh. And the fact that Dahl reported in the weeks following the incident, he had a, a lot of bad luck. Yeah. He had, his wife got suddenly super ill. Right. Um, supposedly his son went into a fugue-like state. Right. Uh, obviously his dog's dead. Um, There's a few other things that happened to him. I can't remember what. But there was this one random mention about how his son, okay, in some accounts he's just in a fugue-like depressed sort of like weird um, post-traumatic stress state or whatever. Mm-hmm. In the MUFON file, it actually says that he disappeared and was found in the next state waiting tables, and he had no idea how he got there. Yeah. What is that, man? What is that? (laughs) Well, the weird thing about that, too, is, like, why just him? Like, if you wanted to sweep this under the rug or get people out of of the way. Well, I'm just trying to think, like, I'm playing devil's advocate here. Maybe Dahl just wanted him out of the picture while he was initially sensationalizing this account, Mm -hmm. if, if they are hoaxers, you know what I mean? 
So maybe it was just more, uh, just a, a, a neat way to sort of clean up that loose end. But right. then you have the other people on the boat too, right? His, his two other crewmen. Yeah. What the heck happened to those two? And what was their, what was their statement? Yeah. There's no statement from them. It's very so curious. That, this is where we get into we're we're almost like turning turning the the investigative light onto Doll and Christman now. We're shining it like mm-hmm. the FBI does in mm-hmm. all those hilarious movies where there's like <laughs> tell me the truth, you're talking to right now. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> they actually they got in some hot water for this. They did. Two people died. Like two Air Force people died. Yeah. Like that's big. Yeah. So this is where it kind of gets into this uh, muddy waters where they sort of retracted their story and they yeah. said it was a hoax. And in later accounts, Dahl claims that he was saying that because he didn't want any more trouble because they were going to be prosecuted for fraud. By, or they were threatened that well, they, they were, would be prosecuted they, yeah, for fraud. Unless they dropped the matter and, and refuted their accounts and all this stuff, yeah. they were going to be charged. Right. So that... Yeesh. That's 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 some ugly whatever like you know and I I don't know who to believe now I'm just like well you know what I think on that note let's get into a little bit more on Crispin too because we're talking about you who, keep calling who him Crispin I said Crispin <laughs> oh, okay Crispin I'm just gonna start calling him Crispman just now I'm just gonna crispy, Crispin yeah the old Crispy man Crispies okay. that's a better name just change ugh. just change put a it. P in there come on come on buddy just change it get, it get it together he's dead man he well, can't even defend himself he died in 1975 and okay so let's go into that because this was a nugget that i almost didn't even uncover like this was about two days ago i kind of got a little bit more info on chrisman yeah. because he was sort of a a little bit of an enigma for me initially because i was almost using him in my head as a legitimizing factor for uh, Doll's account, right? Because if Doll, if something happened on that fishing boat that Doll was operating, that was, so something went awry. Obviously, someone's arm got broken. A dog was killed. So who knows? Like, if there was no UFOs involved, there still could have been an incident where there was damage to the boat, damage to an individual, an employee, right. even though it was Doll's son. And and so maybe I was thinking to myself, like, well, maybe Doll went to Crispin and told him this fantastical story to cover up for his own sort of uh, mistake or whatever happened or something, violence, who knows? Maybe he broke his own son's arm. I don't know. Maybe he's that kind of guy. I don't know who this guy was. I'm not going to say he was abusive, but... Broke his son's arm and then wiped his memory. But what is more... What's more likely? Come on. Like, UFOs descending out of the sky or you getting angry at your son for whatever reason and accidentally breaking his arm. So anyway, Ah. so in my head, in my head, I was like, okay, Chrisman, he is the legitimizing factor because... He wasn't there at the time, and Dahl relates the story to him, and then he ends up not really believing him at first, goes out to Maury Island, and has his own sort of encounter. Right. So that, to me, was like, whoa, okay, so that adds a layer of legitimacy. But dig into Christman a little bit, and you get some weird stuff. You do indeed. (laughs) I think the most interesting part was his connection to the amazing stories guy, Ray Palmer, um, the founder of that magazine and publisher. So, apparently, uh, before all of this happened, years ago, uh, Chrisman was in the war. It was World War II. He was serving overseas. And he had this story. He had a story that he basically fought his way out of um, a subterranean cave or tunnel network or something. And he was battling subterranean creatures. Oh, what? The whole time. And then he escaped from it. He wrote the story. He sent it into Amazing Stories to this guy, Ray Palmer. Okay. And Ray Palmer um, published it. 
And so maybe that was why he contacted Ray again after this Maury Island incident, because he already had been in contact with him and knew that this would be an appropriate channel to sort of get the information out. Right. On the flip side, Chrisman was never... I actually looked into just the wiki on him, you know, Wikipedia, yeah. whatever. He is described as an author, um, a purveyor of a lot... He's like the nexus of a lot of conspiracies. Yep. And he was not once described as a fisherman. <laughs> No, so, or or anything having to do with anything, anything like that, right? Uh, he was so, a purveyor of hoaxes, is how a lot of people, yeah, exactly, have seen him. exactly. People that look into um, and research hoaxes and all this kind of stuff will definitely say that he is um, a, a, a interesting bird, and he is involved in a lot, including none other than the infamous, uh, oh, the infamous JFK assassination. He's implicated in that. He is fascinating he yeah okay so let's get into this let, let me pull my notes here um boop, 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 boop. oh did i even write it down i don't think i did <laughs> but i kind of remembered anyway That's okay. go for it <laughs> okay so he was supposedly one of the three i'm gonna call it the three stooges because i can't remember the exact name but it was the three that were led away in handcuffs and were filmed by reporters and photographed quite extensively in the in the days after the JFK assassination. And then he was actually subpoenaed by um, one of the main investigators for the Clay Shaw um, trial. Bizarre. And so the Clay, Clay Shaw trial, that was like back, back into the left, right? Right, yeah, yeah. So anyways, that was like the major trial right. that happened in, in regards to the JFK assassination. And so he was called to testify. Why? What was his role in that? And it was very vague. Like, I'm sure we could dig up more nuggets on him, but that's That's a me, rabbit hole and a half, though. Like, we should, though, because that's, that's, that's bizarre. It really is. And it only gets weirder. So, obviously, he's got connections to, oh, what's his name? Um, Palmer, like I mentioned, this amazing stories guy. Um, okay, here. Okay, I have pulled it up here. So, this is just the Wikipedia from, uh, for Fred Christman, sorry. Um, okay, so... <laughs> So he was one of the three tramps, um, allegedly employed by a secret government agency, maybe the CIA, maybe something else. Okay. Um, so apparently he he could have been like a patsy or something similar to that. Right. Uh, he also apparently wrote a book. So that was just another thing that alluded to him being an author. And it, it's actually interesting because <laughs> Harold Dahl actually at one point said that he thought this... Uh, it was called V. It was some television series that was based on, like, kind of similar premise to, like, They Live or uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Okay. And uh, apparently he said that this the show V, which I'm not even really familiar with myself, was, like, basically based off of Christmas life. So I don't know how fantastical that gets, but yeah. I'm assuming quite. But anyways, yeah. Yeah, so that's interesting, eh? Fred yeah. Christman, um, kind of shady. Bit of a sketchy character, potentially. Kind of shady, yeah. And that sort of just ties into this idea that that it was a hoax, right? Like, I mean, if he's a purveyor of hoaxes, and mm-hmm. the question is why Dow would want to participate, I suppose it's 1940s, maybe they had this idea that they could have monetized this some way. Obviously, they did send it to a publisher. Yeah. The question is, how do you see yourself monetizing that from that? You know, are you just gonna write books about it? Well, well I maybe mean, you're, you're gonna do a lecture circuit, go around. And uh, I mean, it was that. That's thing? how a lot of people I mean, made. Come on, man! There was a lady that went over Niagara Falls in a barrel, and she made money for decades just talking about it. <laughs> yeah, but you, but that, but she actually did that though. And people watched her do it. Oh, but it's different than 
claiming Same with to, this, well, right? Like, it's like... Well, you're claiming to see something. Mm-hmm. I mean, if they would have had those pictures, if they... I wish Kenneth Arnold got his hands on those photographs. Because that would have changed everything. It really would have. Right? That would have been, yeah, huge The other thing that would have changed a lot of things is if that slag material could have been recovered from the crash site by somebody that would have actually analyzed it. Uh, Clearly, if there was something to be recovered, it was recovered and taken away and covered up from from that. Or it it was uh, just just not Incinerated or... Well, but a lot of the arguments from the Air Force and from investigators was that it was simply just just leftover slag material from the nearby, uh, whatever it's called. Yeah, nearby um, smelter. A smelter, right? Yeah. Smeltering the other, well, the other, the interesting thing, though, about the hoax thing, like we said before, like you mentioned it, like Dahl, basically, they were being, his life was turning to crap. Like, he yeah. had a lot of bad things happen to him, and mm-hmm. he essentially just agreed to say that it was a hoax. Yeah. He didn't actually think it was a hoax. Like, yeah. they went back on that later and said, Fred Crispin, the FBI, this is an FBI report, saying that Fred, or sorry, <laughs> well, Fred and Dahl both said that it was a hoax just because they were pressured yes. into it. yeah. Right? And and, and, they had, and the FBI admitted to that later on. Exactly. And, you know, that's a very common element in a lot of um, witness reports, right? Where right. they do end up rescinding because they've had a lot of negativity. They've had a lot of uh, people come out or, like, shun them or whatever mm-hmm. or judge them and all mm-hmm. this stuff. And it, it does ruin lives. Yeah. And some people don't recognize that before they open their mouths. <laughs> totally. There's so. another, there was a name here I was trying to find and I can't, but um, th- there was another thing too with the actual guy who wrote the report saying that it was a hoax. He oh. didn't actually do that report until years after the incident. Like it, really? was in the, it was in the 1950s when they like officially, like when there was another like official report saying this was a hoax. And then when they came back and when he was asked about this, I got to pull this up and find it. It was on one of those mini docs that we had. I'll definitely have it in the notes. Mm-hmm. He basically said, well, it was just going off of evidence from years before. Like he wasn't on site doing, mm-hmm. doing research, doing investigations. It was basically just like, you know, okay, this was what my, some of my predecessors came up with. Mm-hmm. Okay. Here's the, here's the updated report hoax, but he wasn't even there. Interesting. So, if you weren't and, there, but, but then they admitted know? to that. He was just like, "Well, could be a hoax. Could have, it, we don't know." Yeah, that's interesting. I, hmm. Yeah. Hmm. It's yeah. You have to wonder, like this Christmas guy in particular for me. Like he, he seemed like such a innocent sort of pastoral figure and then you put him under the microscope and you kind of like and apparently he was definitely put under the microscope again and again by conspiracy investigators the cia the fbi a whole bunch of independent researchers as well until his death in 1975 he was he was i don't even know but maybe he asked for it maybe he didn't if he's writing books like there was this one book he wrote oh it was called the murder of a city tacoma Okay. And it was described as a weird, politically slanted rant. And it manages to tie corruption into Tacoma to everything from communist infiltrators to the Kennedy assassination. (laughs) So that's another reference to that. Wow. It's bizarre. Bizarre. Very. Hmm. So that's essentially, that's that's the story. That is the story. Um, I mean, what are your thoughts? Like what coming down to the end here, I mean, what do you what do you make of all this? Do you think that they saw six donut shaped craft? Hmm. Are you on the fence? I just I do take a sort of skeptical approach, but we wouldn't be covering this if we didn't think it was compelling and that right. there wasn't something to it. 
So I think it, I think in my mind, in my animal lover's mind, um, I would say that hopefully yes, because why would it? I I'd want a dog to die for no reason, <laughs> <laughs> even though there isn't really reason to that. If you just got like nailed by some slag material, yeah. sad man. Well, indeed it is. It's kind of funny that I'm like mourning the dog and not the. <laughs> The two yeah, pilots that, <laughs> and not to not to lessen their their death, they definitely respect deserve respect. Sorry, I can't talk. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, but you know, it's the, the, the interesting thing. You? Well, the thing I'm, with gonna, this, I'm just gonna turn that around. Yeah, and, totally. I feel like I feel like it's the adjacent pieces of information that make this seem more likely. And what I mean by that is, for example, mm-hmm. one of the main ones is Kenneth Arnold's sighting three days later. It wasn't yeah. of the same craft, but. I, having looked into Kenneth Arnold now, he, he's a, he, I, I see him as a credible witness. Mm-hmm. So if he's going to investigate something that may or may not be credible, but then has his own, has his own account, his own experience, that adds legitimacy to the doll and Christmas experience just because, just by association, in my yeah. opinion. The craft were different though. So mm-hmm. that's interesting. Yeah. You know, and this is where we get into, like, it, we could go so far down the rabbit hole with this. Like, oh. I'm sure there's, I mean, I don't, I don't think Rob's covered anything like this quite yet. I'm not sure. But it's, like, craft matching different supposed races of aliens or, or extraterrestrials. Oh, I don't I know. I mean, yeah. maybe he has. I don't know. Just check. maybe. But, I mean, that's sort of interesting. It's, like, why? Like, why are these all so different? And right? that, that, it comes back to the idea that perhaps... These aren't extraterrestrial. Perhaps it has something to do with um, the limits of our perception, and maybe they're ultra-terrestrial, or maybe they exist um, differently in everyone's perception. You know what I mean? Maybe. Like where you get different into the shapes, sort of the Jacques Vallée kind of notion, where it, yeah, these aren't physical things from outer space. These like are something not, not some more bolts. metaphysical, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, that, yeah, that could account for that. But I, mm-hmm. I, I honestly think that, I mean. At the end of it all, I, I think they must have seen something. Whether it was exactly how they described it and shooting out that slag material or not. I mean, if this would have happened in the 60s or 70s, even just a short period of time later, I feel like the ability to retrieve evidence would have been way more significant. Like if there actually was slag beneath the surface or on the beach. Yeah. Right? I, I mean, it's just bizarre. I mean, the plane crash definitely adds to it too because it's like, okay... Sure, there could have been a malfunction. It could have just been a tragic incident. That mm-hmm. was the very first ever in the United States, which yeah. is just very coincidental and very, very suspicious. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's like the first ever aircraft, uh, air force crash in the U.S., and it just happens to be in association with a supposed UFO sighting and and a strange material being taken on board. <laughs> yeah, that a seems lot of fishy. Strange coincidences. Very much so. Mm-hmm. Mm. I definitely, uh, I want, I want to believe that there was something in the skies over Puget Sound that day and, uh, in the days following. I you know what we if... should look into, actually, and we, we didn't have the time this week, but, because Puget Sound, uh, crosses borders, right? So it's like, so part of, uh, Lower Victoria is still in that same oh, area, or yeah. Lower Vancouver Island. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder if there was any Canadian sightings of similar craft. I mean, obviously there's a ton of West Coast Canadian UFO sightings. But yeah. this was the first that I'd ever heard that and it was the, the straight donut shape, like mm, hollow in the middle. That's weird. Very strange. I'm, yeah. And I, I, I can picture it in two different ways in my head. I can almost picture it as like exactly that, where it's a donut, where you can actually see the sky going through it. Right. And I'm also picturing it where it has the dome top and it has uh, like an opening, right? Yeah. So it's almost like it can 
like slide open or close kind right. of thing, and yeah. then there would be yeah like something coming out from because I hey, think that hey, makes just more to sense, get right? into a little bit more of like Charlie Red Star, we're not going to talk too much about that because we are doing a Patreon bonus episode for it. Mm-hmm. And so if you guys aren't on Patreon, you should join our little community. It's so much fun. Yeah, at the five dollar level, you can get a mini sode, an extra mini sode every month. So it's really cool. Well, we just really don't want to do like we don't want to bring in a bunch of ads on the show. No. We really just want to keep the show free and keep doing it. So anything, it everything helps. So anything go check out what we have to offer. Exactly. So just in reference to Charlie Red Star, though. Which was a a Manitoba UFO site. Exactly. So it was a Canadian UFO. Um, Oh, what was my point? (laughs) But we were talking about donuts. We were talking about the shape and how Charlie was... Oh, sorry, sorry. Yes. So, okay. So I, I... Sometimes when we were talking about Charlie Red Star... I picture, because, like, there are instances where you get smaller craft being emitted by a larger craft. Right. And so that's what I'm picturing in my head with this sort of story from Dahl, is that he's imagining it donut shape because there is a hole in the center, but maybe not a hole all the way through. Well, if it's 100 feet wide with a 25-foot central... Exactly. Like, that's quite large. Yeah, and I'm I'm trying to imagine where the, the material would have been dropped from, like, the, the inner inner did, ring? Did we or actually like, say that at the beginning, the size? Did we give it the size? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we did. Good. <laughs> yeah, like the, yeah. 100 feet and then 25 feet for the mm-hmm. middle section. Exactly. So quite large. Yeah. But, yeah, no, it's, that's kind of the two images I have in my head that I kind of flip back and forth between. Yeah. When I'm actually trying to picture this. And again, you do get the reference to the portholes, like the visual. I was the, just going to say, too. So that's yeah. another. And that actually ties into the Falcon Lake incident, too, right, of 1967? That was Similar. a whole decade later. Yeah. Or sorry, two decades later. Yeah. But again, yeah, you do get that. Uh, oh, what was the individual from that account? Anyways, the sole witness he described how he could see, port like, holes. yeah, yeah, these portholes and everything, yeah. and he actually saw inside the craft, and there was like, which is like, I mean, to come back to sort of the ultra terrestrial interdimensional kind of angle on it, it's like that's sort of an interesting thing to see if that's the case because it's like it's still clearly something very physical like there would be a physical being inside otherwise what would be the point of having portholes on this right exactly and in that falcon exactly again you get more you get physical evidence right because he got burned quite significantly on his chest yeah Uh, with this case you get a broken arm you get slag material being dropped you get a dead dog right but all physical i can't remember like oh what is the that scale it's like of the fourth kind of the third kind i can't even remember how we would classify that this incident, well, if they got hit with op- with an object ejected from a craft, wouldn't that be... It wasn't like face-to-face with an alien, but it was with a craft. Right. I don't know. Is it the fourth kind? Fifth kind? We'll have to ask Write Rob. Write in and uh, let us know. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, yeah, there's a lot of people out there. I mean, we are not... This is just... This is the thing. Like, we are big into history, big into all this kind of stuff that we cover on the show. Paranormal but it's like, yeah, it's just, it's just funny that this is our first UFO episode. There's a lot of people out there where this is their genre. Like mm-hmm. this is, this is all they research. This yeah. is all they do. And when we were chatting with some of our, our listeners on Facebook or, and stuff, or when I was, I was like, you know, Oh, what's your favorite uh, UFO incident in general? And I would get a response. That's like, well, it depends if it's like, oh, this, this level or this level or this level. And like all these crazy details <laughs> oh and gosh. stuff. And it's like, okay, that's very, that's super, super important. But it's like, that's this, a whole other is, level, this, man. That's a whole other level, and this is why we're starting with this incident. Uh, again, you do get quite a significant wave of UFO sightings, including the Mount Rainier with Kenneth Arnold and all yeah, this stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so it's it's basically like just like the... Well, there definitely was instances um, in the decade. Like, you know, like there were other ones, yeah. too. Oh, for but sure. just not yeah. as... 
much of a household sort of thing. Yeah. And then obviously in 1938, you get the George Orwell scare, right, over the radio where... He, the he War was of the just, Worlds. Yeah, he was broadcasting H.G. Wells' War of the Worlds, and people literally thought that America was under siege. Yeah. And they were, like, freaking out. Yeah. They're, they're boarding panic. up. Yeah, they're boarding up their windows. They're going into their crawl spaces, into yeah. their uh, panic rooms and all this yeah. stuff. It's funny, though, yeah. too. There's some there's some uh, disagreement as to how much panic actually did result from that. Like, it kind of got hyped up that it was even mm. just mass hysteria, and it wasn't quite like that. But it definitely did, freaked a lot of people out. Yeah. And, I mean, did that tee people up for all this kind of things happening, like, not that long yeah. later? I mean, I don't know. But, again, Kenneth Arnold, I, I'm riding that guy's uh, legitimacy. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I, I think they saw something. I really do. Yeah. We have to look into whether or not those similar donut-shaped craft were have been reported since. Mm-hmm. So we'll, we'll do some sort of a follow-up, I think. But are we, I mean, are you, have you said all you have to say? Have you given I, your I, conclusion? I, like I've rambled enough. <laughs> <laughs> so before we wrap up, we wanted to um, talk about one other thing. Yeah. We have a new uh, ongoing series with a really awesome show called Fan Film Boys. So we've teamed up with Robert Jenner. He's mm-hmm. one of the one of the duo from them. Mm-hmm. Um, it's another Podfix uh, show. So we're part of the Podfix Network. You should go check that out. PodfixNetwork.com. There's mm-hmm. a bunch of awesome Get shows on there. All your favorite podcasts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what we are doing a Podfix Presents series. It's a special series uh, called Historical Hypocrites, Madmen, and Megalomaniacs. So the first episode is out now you can just search podfix presents on any podcast app same place you find us and yeah we're covering just a bunch of really cool historical topics so you know important people in history really that fun. have some strange or unknown things about them that uh, you wouldn't have expected so uh, it's really fun it's so the, it's the gritty underbelly of folks you know from history books but you sure didn't learn these things in yeah, your classroom <laughs> exactly that was really cheap so make sure you uh, <laughs> <laughs> but that's essentially what it is, though. It really and it, is, though. And it's really fun. So, is, yeah, so yeah. go check that out. Subscribe to Podfix Presents and uh, let us know what you think of that. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, episode one's out. Next one will be coming out sometime next week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And as always... As always, uh, we want to give a huge thank you to all of our patrons. You guys keep the lights on around here yep. and keep smiles on our faces. So yes. we love you. Absolutely. And, of course, um, you can find us on our socials. Please reach out. We have an awesome Facebook uh, forum going on. Yeah. That's just Into the Portal podcast. And then as well, you can always reach out to us on Twitter. We're super active on there. We yeah. love to do polls and things. We yeah. had a really fun one this last week about uh, ancient explorers. Yeah, it ended up being uh, ancient Egyptians ancient ended up Egyptians. being the dominant yeah. pre-Columbian contact uh, that people really were, were, were digging that on besides, Twitter. Besides the Norse, obviously. Besides the Norse. But I mean, I didn't even, include it because... We didn't... Yeah, we, we were already like, know. You know that's, <laughs> yeah, that's common knowledge. Yeah, we know and we don't made. like common things. We like to go out there and explore things that are lesser known. Yes, indeed. So yeah, so with socials we're on there at into the portal po- into the portal one. Yeah, at into the portal one on Twitter and at into the portal podcast on Instagram. So come follow us on there mm-hmm. and check us out. And uh, yeah, just you can chat with us anytime. We love getting DMs and all that kind of stuff. Totes. Mm-hmm. So anyway, thank you so much for listening to our very first UFO episode on Into the Portal. Yes. And we will be back next week. Mm-hmm.
This was a podcast from the Podfix Network. You can check out more shows like it at podfixnetwork.com.